0: From Bayside Church International, Victor Harbour, this is Chad Bridge. Have you found Galatians chapter 3, if you have your Bible? We're going to read the scripture there. Verse 26, you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you who were baptised into Christ have clothed yourselves with him. One of the things that water baptism signifies is it is at a total covering and in a legal sense we are clothed in christ when god the father looks at us he sees jesus when the judge of the living and the dead the holy god of the universe looks at you you are in christ he sees jesus jesus is who we think about when we think of god And Jesus is who God thinks about when He thinks about you. You are in Jesus. And in the same way that when God's people came out again through Moses in that whole Red Sea story, this is how the whole Bible joins together, okay? God's people come out of the Red Sea with Moses and Paul says in the New Testament, they were baptized into Moses that day. They became part of a collective body in Moses, In the same way, when we are water baptized today, we are part of a new community that is in Jesus Christ. We don't lose our distinctive identity, but we share a collective identity where God looks at us and sees the body of Christ. So that's why in the New Testament there's this motif, okay, of the old body of Moses and the new body of Jesus. And that's probably a little too deep for some of you, but some of you will appreciate that. All right, let's go. So in verse 28 he says, There is neither Jew or Greek, slave-free, nor even male or female, for you are all one in Christ. Now let me make clear, yes there is male and female, there is people from different cultural heritage and there are people with different employment statuses. That is true. But as far as your identity as a collective, the way God sees us, He sees us as one community on equal footing. At the cross there is equal ground at the cross there is equal ground and we are one in Him. Verse 29, because if you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Move on, I'll explain too much and take too long. Verse chapter 4, what I'm saying is that as long as an heir is a child, he's actually no different from a servant or a slave, even though he kind of owns the whole business. But he's still subject to guardians and trustees until the time set by his father. Track with me here. He's saying that those people who are children in a family business don't have any authority to make decisions in the family business or take ownership of the family business. In a family business, a child, who's like 10 years of age, let's say, is no different to the checkout chick that you employ to work at the cash register. They're both... They just. Do their job and and that's it. However, he says, you're not children in your father's business, you are adult sons. Verse 3, when we were children, in slavery under the basic principles of the world, the time came, when it had fully come, when God sent his son... Born of a woman under the law to redeem those under law so we might receive the full rights of sons. Because you are a son, God sent the spirit of his son into our hearts who calls out Abba Father, so you are no longer a slave but a son. And since you are also a son, God has made you an heir. The, look, the only reason I'm struggling, and I know you can tell I'm struggling right now, the only reason is because this can go so deep and I don't, I'm kind of resisting... In doing that because I do want to keep it simple and appreciate we've got a spectrum of of a crowd here but he, here's the idea you are not a child in God's house like Jesus who turned 12 13 took on an adult status and he said I'm interested in how the family business is running because I'm not just a child I'm an actually an adult here yeah. and he says you've received God has made you an heir When you are not an heir apparent, one day the business will be mine. No, I'm an heir today. I have the keys to the family business and I take ownership and responsibility as an adult for the well-being of my father's house. That is what Jesus was doing at the age of 12. He's saying, I need to be about my father's business. I'm not just going to the temple, doing the festival and, and popping home. No, actually, the father's business matters to me because i'm no longer a child Mum and dad i'm an adult and i'm an adult heir of my heavenly father paul writes to the galatians and says that is now true for you you are no longer children you've been set free from the law it's a whole jewish thing there you've been set free you are in christ an adult heir of the kingdom of god not just enjoying the privileges of the family but also enjoying the responsibilities of being an heir in the house that kind of makes sense and so, what's his name? Whoever wrote Hebrews can say Moses was faithful as a servant, but Christ is faithful as a son over God's house. One of the things that makes the ministry of Jesus superior and the relationship we have with God through Jesus superior is that it is based on sonship, not just servanthood, individual sonship. My father! not just servanthood. And there is a difference in a family business between a servant and an adult son who serves their dad in the family business. Have I kind of drawn that picture? We are are servants. The Bible, the New Testament calls the Christian servants, but there is a higher revelation than just being a hired hand, doing a job, working for the man. I'm not just a hired hand, paid to do a job, working for the man. I'm a son in the house and I'm interested, coming into adulthood, I'm interested in the family business. Three quick things as to why having the mentality of a son or the attitude of a son or the demeanour of a son will affect us in our life. Three uh, areas that it will change our perspective on. The father the family and the future. The father, when I understand that I'm a son, I'm not just a servant that works for a boss, I'm a son that serves my dad. I understand that I work for him from a place of his already approval of me. You go to work, you get paid, you want to impress your boss so he will think highly of you, and reward you so that you can impress him or maybe some of us we uh, want our boss to think more highly of us than he really should shall be put on a show you don't need to do that with dad because he knew you when he was changing your nappies and wiping your bottom at one year he has seen you he knows you and he loves you and i do not serve my father to impress him I do not serve my father to try to win any approval from him. I serve my dad as a result of prevenient grace. The God who already loves me has already been faithful to me. Any service I do to him is a response for what he has already done for me. And I serve from a place of acceptance, and I serve from a place of approval, and I serve from a place of a God who affirms me before I ever did anything good for Him. And that's what we see at Jesus' water baptism. He comes out of the water and a voice from heaven says, this is my Son, I love Him, and I'm pleased with Him. And before Jesus ever performed a miracle, ever preached a sermon, before Jesus ever did anything ministry related to to represent God well in that capacity, God said, I'm already pleased with you I already love you you're already my son your identity in my eyes is not based upon your performance I love your personhood not your performance and so when I understand I'm a son that serves my dad I understand that it is a response to a good good father that has already loved me first yeah and I honor him and I don't just serve my boss when he pays me I serve, get paid, go home, stop serving him. Now I serve my dad even when there is no immediate reward, because it's he's my dad, and I might not. I don't serve for payment. I serve out of a gratitude for his payment for me, for what he's already done for me. So the attitude of a son can differ to that as to the attitude of a servant only mentality. It changes the way we see our Father. It changes the attitude that we have towards our family. When you understand that the temple, quote, is the Father's business, that means it is my family business. That means the people working alongside of me, serving alongside of me, we are family together. We're not just co-workers. There is relationship, there is friendship, as we used to say in the old days, friendship, not just a function, together together. And so the welfare of other people is very important to you. When you're a servant and you clock in and out at your time, you go there because you're just doing what you need to do to get the pay. And if you you like your co-workers, great. If they help you, fine. If you don't like them, you you ignore them as much as you possibly can just to get on with your job. No, 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 hang on. In the father's business, it is family. And we care when you're a son, ...with the welfare of all those around you... ...because we understand they are brothers... ...they are not competition... ...we're not competing for attention... ...we're not competing for position... ...we're not competing for profile... ...I'm serving with my brothers and sisters... ...whom God loves unconditionally and so do I... ...when we understand we are sons... ...in the father's business we see our boss differently... ...because he's our dad... ...and we see one another differently... ...because we understand that we are brothers... ...and when you serve as a part of a family... ...with that mentality you also find it much easier to serve with a healthy sense of obligation and responsibility. Because you understand, I want the best for my family. There is a healthy, there's things we do as family members, you just think about your family, there are things we do as family members that have a healthy sense of obligation about them. You know what? That's a... 50th wedding anniversary, we'll definitely go to that. You know, that's, that's my grandma's birthday. Two weeks' time, I'm going to see my grandma in Adelaide. Her sister, Aunty Flo, dying. It's probably the last time they'll ever be together. Family reunion. You know what? Drive to Port Adelaide on a Sunday after... We'll be there. We'll go, there's, a, there's a healthy sense of obligation there. And that's a good thing. Families have that. I have a friend whose mum, for many years, has been... Uh, has suffered with dementia and essentially dying slowly very slowly in dementia and he's not seen her for a long time and one of the reasons is he said i don't want my last memory of her to be like that and if i do see her she won't even know i'm there anyway and i'm like you know i hear that but that's just you thinking about my last memory of mum and mum not knowing it's me I said, why don't you think, you know, for me, I'd be going, I'd want to go see my mum because your kids and your grandkids are watching you. What would it teach your family when they see you going to be with great-grandma even when she's not cognizant or not there? You are communicating something to your family that we value family. It's important. I actually didn't get anything personal about sitting there with, you know, mum dying of, 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 of dementia. But... I'm doing it for my kids and my grandkids. I'm communicating something that family matters. Family, family matters. Our our family. We're just now. Next month we're going to Northern New South Wales. It's our annual uh, having a holiday up there, and we're going up to the place where my grandparents, where we grew up with my grandparents as kids, and we're going there. We're based our holiday this year. It's not the ideal place. It's not our top choice to go but we're going there because we're going to go scatter my grandparents' ashes up there. And I do that not just for me, as nostalgic as it might be to go to this little country town where I remember my pop growing up, but I do that for my mum and my mum's sisters. And a reason to get the aunties together and say, let's do this and remember Pop and Gam. And I do that for my kids because I want my kids to see that family matters. And if that means we base our holiday just this year, just this once, we base our holiday around doing something with that family aspect to it, then I'll do that because I'm considering the well-being of the family in those decisions. Does that make sense? When you're serving, when you understand family, it changes the way we we see God. He's our Father. He's not the boss, number one. No, He's a Father. I'm a son in His eyes. And it changes the way we see one another. We are family. We are family. That's why this coming Saturday night is a great privilege and a great opportunity for us to get together. We don't call Saturday night meetings every three months. You know, we're not the type of church that wants to book people's calendars up eight days a week. Okay, we don't do that. But we think, no, no, this is our 16th birthday. It falls on a Saturday night. Let's get together as a family and celebrate some of our history, celebrate our future and make that matter. When you understand family, there is such thing as a healthy sense of obligation. Obligation... And celebrate, I mean, that's a celebration, but there is a sense of healthy obligation. Obligation is not a dirty word. Okay? Obligation is not a dirty word. Romans 1, Paul says, I'm coming to Rome to preach to you because I'm obligated to. Paul, the the man of freedom, who understood the grace of God, knew what it was like to serve with a healthy sense of responsibility because I serve a dad... And that dad has a family and there's a healthy sense of responsibility as we walk together into our future. And that's the third point. Third thing, when we have the son mentality, we also have a different perspective of the future. When I serve in my temple, in my church family, for example, I'm not just a volunteer that clocks in and clocks out and does my bit. When I understand I'm a son... I'm investing into the future of the family that I'm serving. And so, I'm investing into a church family that will be strong for that next generation of kids to come up. Next week, we're going to see a whole bunch of kids be baptized in water. I've got an email this week from one of the kids' workers. Eleven of them responded last week to say, we want to follow Jesus for the rest of our life, upstairs. Now, I want to be part of a church community where we own that sense of future. I'm investing into our future. I'm on the meet and greet team at the front as people come in. You know, there might be a visitor that comes in and they are our next worship team leader. Those next people that come in, they might be our next on our preaching team in a year's time. I don't know. They might be our next kids' church leaders. They may be an evangelist that God is bringing to us and I'm thinking about investing into the future. That's why, when I have a son mentality, I want the family to do well because I'm passing on a legacy to the next generation. Every now and again, I think, of Pat. Oh. Anyway. And the other thing is, in building for the future, I'm not just building for another generation. I'm building for eternity, something that matters for eternity. You know, Jesus taught this great parable where he's, he's talking about a manager managing the wealth of his, of his um, boss and he uses it to win friends and Jesus said, I want you to use what you've got on planet earth to win friends for yourself that they may welcome you into eternal dwellings. Do you remember that story? In other words, he's, he's saying, listen... God's put things in your hands, and I want you to act as if that matters for eternity. Because one day, the things you do on planet Earth, you're going to get to heaven one day, and you're going to see people in eternal homes that are there because you invested on the earth. And so, I don't just want to invest in a family that builds to a next generation here, I also want to be investing into something that I know has eternal value. Those of you who are part of this church, who've been a part of this church just this year, one day, you're going to get to heaven and see, I don't know, a good hundred or more Indonesians from a Muslim village because when Jake and I went there this year and preached at a crusade, saw people healed, responded to the salvation message, an Indonesian person's going to come up to you and say, you were part of that house that sent Chad and Jake and I came to know Jesus that day. Thank you. What are we doing? We're building a house that has eternal ramifications and eternal consequences and that matters to me. When you understand that you're a son, you're looking into the future. You're not just a servant that clocks in and out, nine to five, I've done my bit, I go home. No, no, no. I'm building something for a legacy that goes beyond generations and even beyond planet Earth. I do what needs to be done because I own the house. This is my house. My father's business. Okay, let's, let's move on. John... John chapter 2. John chapter 2. What's the point, Chad? What's your point, Chad? Yeah, that's right. You need to help me. What's the point? The point is, at 12 years of age, the health of God's house mattered to Jesus. And he knew, "I'm, I'm an adult. I need to be about my father's business. My father's business matters to me and I'm going to start taking interest. Fast-forward 21 years. And let's see if that passion for God's house still remained in Jesus. Fast-forward 21 years, John chapter two. It was nearly time for the Jewish Passover celebration. Here we are, another festival at the temple. Here we go, 21 years later. And so Jesus went to Jerusalem, in the temple area. He saw merchants selling cattle, sheep and doves for sacrifices. He also saw dealers at the tables exchanging foreign money. like a travel ex. Now listen, this is not wrong, what they were doing. Because God, Moses had said hundreds of years earlier, he said, listen, for people who live a long way away from the temple, they can't bring their animals with them. So you need to have a system where they can buy animals when they get there. Okay, So that is fine. The issue that Jesus is noticing is where this market is set up. It's in the court. And one of the other books, one of the other gospels says it was in the Gentile court. So it was basically, let's just say, in the foyer. Okay, It was in a, it was in a space in the temple grounds where foreigners were meant to worship. That was their allocated space okay, it's hard for us to understand nowadays, okay, I get that, but there was, you know, in the, in the temple there were divisions, only people of a certain pedigree could worship in one room and then outside that room you had where the ladies could worship and when foreigners could worship and it was in those courts that these guys are setting up all their travel money exchange and, and animals, okay. So this is Jesus, what does he do in verse 15? He makes a whip, of some ropes and he chased them all out of the temple he drove out the sheep and cattle scattered the money changers coins on the floor and turned over their tables what a madman that's my jesus remember last time a couple of weeks ago lion and the lamb Lamb and the lion. Okay, we're seeing the lion roar here. Then, verse 16, going over to the people who sold doves, he said to them, get these things out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. Then his disciples remembered this prophecy from the scriptures. Passion for God's house will consume me. Psalm 69, courtesy of David. Passion for God's house will will consume me 21 years later we see Jesus just as passionate if not more for the well-being of God's house as he was when he was possibly a little idealistic as a young person coming into the temple and actually seeing all the wonderful things asking questions finding out what he could Jesus 21 years later a full-grown man was just as passionate for God's house what a testimony Because how many of you know that as you get older, and this is in all areas of life, your idealistic views, your potentially rose-coloured glasses, your outlook on life, it's very easy to get older, to grow up with chips on the shoulder, and yet Jesus, while he could see what wasn't quite right, was more consumed with a positive vision of what his father's house could be. And I don't think it was so much his anger at what it was as much as his passion for what he knew it could be. A a significant number of fellow Australians, and there might be a number of us here in this room, are going to just, basically in the last couple of elections, just wasting votes or not voting at all because we've watched the way politics has gone on and we've gone... This is rubbish, not going to contribute to it. Well, that is a view that focuses on the negative and is an honest view of the current state of politics. It's not what it could be. But when you have a positive view and you say, no, no, hang on, but I care for my nation and I see that there can be something positive in the future, I will take that passion that I see in the negative, I will see a positive hope and I'll vote according to that way. I'll still do something... That matters and that is meaningful because I'm not focused on the negative, but I am focused on hope. And I feel like this passion that Jesus had, you can get through watching stuff that doesn't quite add up. You can get through the disillusionment of the way things work when you retain a positive vision for a future. Okay, and that's got everything to do with your perspective. We we, we need to take responsibility for our own perspectives okay, and our own attitudes, what's, where are you going with this Chad? I'm saying, Jesus is here 21 years later, a lot of water's under the bridge, he's seen a lot of stuff go on and he is still passionate for the Father's house. He is still passionate for the Father's house. Oh, that the Christian community, that every believer would retain that passion, a passion for their father is a passion for his house. I love you, but I hate your bride. I love you, but I hate your family. I love you, but I hate your house. These things just don't gel. You know, passion for God, passion for his house. It is the most natural and normal thing for someone who loves God to love the house. It is a natural and normal thing. And that love... That fire for the house does have obstacles that are poured onto it as challenges come. You better believe it does. That's absolutely true. But the most natural thing is for that fire to keep burning. And sometimes we need to just fan that and maintain that burning. My hope for you today is to have a look here at Jesus from 12 to the age of 33 and go, he was a man that was passionate about his house. I've decided to follow Jesus. I've said, like those kids did last week, 11 and upstairs, I want to model my life on Jesus. Well, here's an aspect of Jesus' life that is worth modeling. I'm going to be passionate about his house. And I'm not, by saying that, I'm not... St- Asking you to do something that's really hard because it's unnatural. No, if you're a follower of Jesus, it is natural. It is the most natural and normal thing. That flame is there. Let it be fanned today. Let it be fanned today. I see this, this story and I see, Jesus, I see God's house as a place of passion where passion is normal. Where passion is normal. And I want to be a part of a church family where passion is normal. And you can express passion according to your own personality, okay? Whatever, I shouldn't have to, whatever, all that. But passion for God's house will consume me because passion for His name consumes me and He has put His name on His family. Can I hear a passionate yeah. something? Yeah. Passionate on the inside. Alright, well, come on, let's of it out. In the other Gospels, all four Gospels tell this story. And of course, whenever you have different people telling a story, you've got slightly different perspectives. Matthew, Mark and Luke don't quote Psalm 69. They quote two other verses from Isaiah and Jeremiah. It says here in Mark 11, just one example. It says, He said to them, this is after he goes through the temple, same story, The Scriptures declare, My temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have turned it into a den of thieves there's a Netflix series coming out now called Den of Thieves. Um, I'm not suggesting it, don't look it up. <laughs> I just think I saw it somewhere. Um, uh, clarify. Um, my temple we be called House of Prayer. He's quoting two prophets here. One is Isaiah and one is Jeremiah. When he quotes Jeremiah there and he says, you've turned it into a den of thieves, this is what you're meant to do when you read the New Testament. This is in my next book. I'll give it to you for free okay when you read the new testament and you see an old testament verse quoted the idea is you're meant to click on it like a hyperlink and make it go boom boom let's see where they got that from and if you were to do that if you're reading a bible and you were to hyperlink this verse boom boom it would open up to jeremiah when jeremiah talks about a den of thieves and the whole context there is about hypocrisy okay? People going, we can act any way we want, we can have any attitude towards God we want, and yet this is still church, okay? And it's in that context He says, no, 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 you've made my temple into a den of thieves. So, Jesus here is noticing a problem, which is hypocrisy. What's the positive that He sees? He sees a house of authenticity. I'll be passionate about a church that sees a future hope for a church community that is genuinely authentic, Practices what they preachers, do what they say, let their yes be yes and their no's be no, not trying to impress anybody or wear masks. They're authentic. That's a high value for our church. Don't just focus on the negative. Okay, what's the negative? What's he re, what does he see for the future? He sees a temple where there are authentic worship is taking place. How many of you want to be part of a church community where there's authenticity is one of the highest values you can have? And part of, part of what will help that happen is when each of y'all, each of us, understand that we're sons because i'm not putting on a mask to impress you i've got my dad's approval all right and no matter what you think about me at the end of the day it's, that doesn't matter nearly as much as what my dad thinks about me because his voice is the highest voice in my life okay so i'm not trying to impress anybody i'm not trying to be political to say one thing and do another all right because i've got my dad's approval if all of us had that security we'd be building a house of authenticity yeah we'll be well on the way to doing that. Jesus says that. The other scripture he quotes here is my temple will be called a house of prayer for all nations. If you hyperlink that verse, boom boom, okay? It would take you to all the good stuff in Isaiah. It's one of the good passages. Those of us reading Isaiah at the moment on YouTube with me, some of it's hard going, but we're getting into all the positive stuff, all right? And this is right there in smack bang in the middle of all the messianic prophecies about Jesus coming one day. And he says, "My house is a house where all people can gather all different types of people and that's one of the th- things that ticked Jesus off as far as I'm concerned see if you don't read the bible holistically you'll come across this story and you'll go Jesus has a problem with money no. okay not the problem because he when he tipped those tables over he said my house is a house for all nations what were they doing They were selling animals in the part of the worship sanctuary where other people could worship. So, they were being inconsiderate toward outsiders. So, Jesus is passionate about having a church community that's considerate toward outsiders. Jesus is interested and passionate about having a church that's passionate about having a temple that is authentic, and having a, a church community that recognizes the diversity of the community around us and doesn't uh, conduct themselves in a way that says only a certain type of people can be here. Does that make am I making sense? Am I kind of like saying you guys are doing stuff that's deliberately putting off whole groups of people? I want to be part of a church, okay, that is welcoming. I want you to be part of a church that is open and that is welcoming and part of that authenticity, Okay, when we're grounded in our own identity as sons, part of that authenticity makes it easy for us to welcome other people because we know they don't have to be perfect before they are accepted. Because God accepted me and I will accept others. And the same forgiveness I've received from Him I extend towards others. Accept one another, the Scripture says, just as Christ has accepted you. That's why you must always come back to the wonder of the glory of Calvary when you notice that's when God loved me when we were yet enemies he demonstrated his love for us. We will welcome anyone into a it will be a welcoming community because we know that God loves all. Okay, and so we do what we can to provide room for that. Am I kind of making is there something in there that's making sense? What's your point, Chad? What's your point, Chad? from 12 years of age, I'm interested in my father's business, it matters to me. 21 years later, he is passionate for his father's house, that it be a house of welcome, that it be a house that is open to all and that it be a house of authenticity. There are certain things we might do, there are certain changes that churches may make and we're 16, we've made a lot of change i look around this room and, and next week you're going to see them we're doing a video right now uh we in, in the midst of wait, making one alice is putting it together of families that have been part of this church for 10 12 13 some of the 16 years i can see some people here have been with us since day one and i want to interview them and share i want i want to, for the rest of us to see some of the faces that have been part of this church's history over that time and over that time we've adjustments and changes have been made but we've never tried to be something we're not because of authenticity. And many of the changes and adjustments we've made are trying to stretch our tent curtains to say, Lord, how can we include more people? How can we be more welcoming and include more people to come and worship you? Because it's the most natural and normal thing for people when they've sensed or experienced the love of God to worship Him and to do so passionately. Amen. I want to share something with you. I do this once a year, around about this time of year. And uh, I want to spend just a couple of minutes sharing some family business with you. I've even got a slide for it. Family business. We do this at this time of the year because it's after... Uh, it 's coming up to our birthday, and it 's just a good time to look at some things and reevaluate or not reevaluate, but just have a have a look at the, some things. I want to talk just specifically, those of you who are visiting, you want to just switch off for five minutes it 's fine. <laughs> but I want to just talk to you about specifically about one area of our church health as a family. I want to talk to you about our financial health as a church family. we 've just had our books audited. Go back, mate, go back. don 't show that until I can explain it thank you Um, I want to talk about some of our financial health as a church family and um, give you some reasons for doing that it's July Uh, a couple of months ago we just had our books audited we passed with flying colors which is always a good thing and we've had another solid financial year and uh, I think it would be fitting for you to show your appreciation to Leanne who serves as our bookkeeper and does a lot of that very well Um, Okay, let's have a look at a 15-year graph. This is 15 financial years. This is the trajectory of our church income. That's all this is. Our regular, normal, weekly giving as a church. Our trajectory over 15 years. And a quick glance at that should communicate something very encouraging to you. That for 15 years, we have had a solid increase Trajectory in our financial health as a church, and that's something that I'm really grateful for, and that's something that I think we should all be grateful for as a church family. Church finance health is just one aspect of church life, that's a very important aspect, and uh, that is just a great little graph there to show that trajectory over that time. There are enough retired pastors and former pastors in this room who know that this is not necessarily the testimony of every church, where year after year, there was one year there we were slightly under, took a little dip for for some reason, but otherwise every year, just year after year, a solid trajectory of financial growth and that should be an encouraging thing for all of us. Um, Can you just thank God for that? I mean, that's... uh There's a couple of cartoons that just make this a little bit more fun... Uh, because, uh, and I'll I'll explain why in a moment, there's a couple of significant leaps that have happened over the year. One is where this fella is, one is where the monkey is, and one is where the praying hands are, where there was a fairly sudden increase in our finances, and each one tells a lesson. This one here, at the the start of 2007, was when Chad and Jay decided, I decided to quit my job and took a step of faith to go full-time for Bayside. And within two years, our income had gone up 70% from doing that. We were sitting on a... Yeah, so our income went about uh, up, uh, as a church, went up 70% in that time. It was a faith step at the time, it was calculated, but it was also a risk. It was like stepping out of the water, going, God, I'm feeling like this is right, all right, I'm going to quit my Govey. I had a govy job, so, you know, paid well, telephone, company car, the whole thing. Uh, youth worker, it was, it was a great job, I really liked it. We took a step out in faith to go full-time and within two years, our income had shot up 70%. The monkey was the next shoot-up of our income and that is in the year that we made a concerted effort to pay off our facility debt. We had what we called a monkey on our back. We had a little bit of a renovation debt. It might have been 80, 90 grand, I think at its highest and gradually went down over the years. And I stood up here at one point in that financial year, 2013, 14, and I said, Church, we need to get this monkey off our back. And I don't think it's any coincidence that it was, as we honoured that principle of what the Scripture says of not being in debt, owe no man nothing, okay, where we took that, that the next year, boom, you can see a nice little leap up there and I wonder if in both of those things, there's no coincidence there uh, that that was a significant event that took place. The praying hands is something that happened in a finance team meeting, we were, after the monkey was off our back, we were enjoying some growth but we were still just in a period where the belt's fairly tight, and um, I was just over it. And I'm a little bit slow. Yeah, i I'm, I'm a little bit slow. I think Jay's said that. Uh, so it takes me a while. You know, I'm not a reactor, okay? I'm like, oh, yeah, we'll just wait. You know, just I'm happy to sort of sit back and respond. But after a few years of being tight, I had enough. And we sat in the finance team meeting, and we just felt God say, why don't you choose a figure that will be comfortable like a good figure, where we can do everything that we want to do without having to question stuff all the time and don't even ask about spending money, we're just getting by, okay? Because we're in that season for quite a while and we sat down and we said, let's pitch a figure and the figure was 3,500. That was like, that would be comfortable, that would be us living well and we're about to write that down and say, let's pray for 3,500 and as we did, I felt a rise in my spirit to say 37 and it would already been generous in that 35, we're like, no, thirty-seven psalm 37 and you know spirit speed when you're like if that happened quicker than what my brain could think of it and i'm I'm sitting there with leanne i'm like quick get a bible get a bible let's read psalm 37 you know and um psalm 37 is that psalm that says trust in the lord and do good take delight in the lord and he will give you the desires of your heart commit your way to the lord trust in him and he will do this He will make your righteous reward shine like the dawn. The meek will inherit the land and enjoy peace and prosperity. Here we are, just opening Psalm 37. God, look at this. The blameless spend their days under the Lord's care. In days of famine, they will enjoy plenty. The wicked borrow, but don't repay. But the righteous give generously. I was young and now I'm old. This is David speaking, not me. I was young and now I'm old, yet I have never seen the righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. They are always generous and lend freely. Their children will be a blessing. So hope in the Lord and keep His way. 37, Psalm 37. There it is, there's a prophetic promise. We took that, we didn't share that with you at that time, we just took that as an eldership and we said, we've got a target, we've got a number, this is the first time we've done this, we've got a prophetic word, let's pray, and then, boom, that, those two financial years there just had a real shot up. I share this for a couple of reasons. That, that house, by the way, is when we moved into this facility. Yeah. We moved into this facility seven years ago, There was maybe 70 people that called Bayside Church their home, and so one of the encouraging things for me is to see that while our congregation size has doubled, also so has our income. And that, in one sense, shouldn't be a surprise, but it's also an encouraging thing to see that new people, those of us who have come in the last seven years, are also carrying the weight together with those of us who were here before. We've seen a double in our congregation size, and there's basically a doubling in our in our income from that time to this, and I see that as a really encouraging thing. I share this for you for three reasons: past, present, future. It's, looked, it's good to look back on the past and learn from history. It's good to look back and know that there were times where we took steps of faith and God came through immediately. It's also good to see that there were times we took steps of faith, like the building when we moved here and our rent went up from a one-day building to a a seven-day-a-week building, okay, where we took that step of faith and for three or four years, things kind of stayed the same. Those lessons were different. There was a lesson of one occasion of instant reward and instant increase and the other was that lesson of perseverance, of persevering through the various seasons. Both of those are valuable. It's good to look back at history to give you a big picture because if we don't learn lessons from the past, we, well, we need to learn lessons so that when those tests come around again, we can see God's faithfulness behind us. Yeah. Come on. How many of you believe Canberra would be in a better place today <laughs> if certain people had learned from the past three years ago? We wouldn't be having this mess now if they just looked back and gone, we, sh- we remember and look back at the past. It's important to look back at the past. Secondly, I bring this up for our present. Because it is... Like Jesus, the health of your Father's house matters to you. And while finances aren't the be-all and end-all, it's yet still an important aspect of church life, even in those hard times, financially, where it was a pretty tight belt, okay? Big commitments, finance not increasing, some sacrifices that had to be made at that time. We were still a good church. People were still getting saved. Worship was still taking place. So finances aren't the be-all and end-all of church life. We're not a better church this year than we were last year because we've had a good jump. Okay, We're not suddenly a, a different place. It is a part of church life. Uh, but I can tell you, it's certainly, if I had the choice of leading a church that had money in the bank or didn't have money in the bank, I can tell you which one I'd prefer. This year, where I had the privilege of being able to really increase our regular staffing we now have Malcolm on two days a week Veronica half a day for super kids we're paying Cecilia to cover uh, contracting her Cecilia Richardson to do a lot of our hardcore admin stuff get all our policy and procedure stuff up to date which is something that would just absolutely do my head in uh, Rachel's helping out with some admin stuff uh, it's been great this year to actually have budget lines for some of our key ministry areas we've never been able to do before be able to say to youth as soon as the youth group starts to say you know what we've got money set aside for you every week you can manage your own budget line super kids we're putting this amount of money for you every week worship team you've got this amount of money to we've never been able to do that before it's always been please don't ask us for anything my belt's too tight and now we're able just to have that flow that is a much better place to be it's a great place to be. When someone could come to us a few months ago and say, "You know what? Our kids' space upstairs needs a wall built up there. We just can't manage with that big space." We got a quote for four thousand dollars. That person said, "I'll sponsor half of it." And without having to come to you to ask for two grand, we had money sit in the bank. We just said, "Let's do it. Let's build a wall." Sound like Donald Trump now? Let's build a wall. <laughs> and the Mexicans, but no, they, we had. But to have it, but to be able to know, there's money in the bank for us to do that. That is a that is a really really good. A far better place to be, all else thing, thing being all else being equal, and so I want to share that with you as present, not only as a past, to give you a big picture of you in the present. To say God is good to us, thank you for your faithfulness and your part in that health, and more so, what I want to thank you is that, or more so, the thing that helps me in the present is knowing that I am part of a church that does have a passion for His house. Because passion manifests itself in different ways and one of them is not just people raising their hands in worship like Kay saw before, but is people putting those hands in their pockets and saying, I am for my Father's house and I, I would rather be a church, be, I, I enjoy being a part of a church like that, where I'm either pastor or not, I, and like I'm sure most of you want to be part of a church where I'm surrounded by people who say, we love this house, we are passionate about the Father's house and that is a good sign for that. And the third reason I want to share, past, present and future, is because in the future, this time it's spring, every year for the last four or five years, we've had a special month of giving, a special giving month in September. A couple of reasons we do that, number one, it is our birthday, so it's kind of a starting a new year. It's kind of our way of saying, Bayside is about to launch into a new year. Let's trust God to be extra generous. Well, let's trust God for a special month of giving as we move and as we launch into a new year. The second reason is it's spring. And first the natural, then the spiritual. All you gardeners know, this is the time to be planting seed. This is the time to go, I'm going to be planting seed knowing that a future harvest is coming. I'm going to be planting seed now in this season knowing, as I said before... I have a future vision of building not only for the next generation, not only for kids, not only for those next generation of people that are going to come in and make this church their home in the next 12 months. Those of us who have only been part of this church for the last year or two, I want to encourage you from now, start thinking, I'm actually going to help those who are going to be a part of this, come into this church like I've just done in the next two years. I want to be a part of investing into them and making this place a better place to accommodate that growth that's coming after me, all right, part of owning the house, so in September, we have a special giving month, we call it Heart for the House, for reasons I guess you can kind of uh, understand, uh, as I've explained today, and we're going to say more about that, in the weeks to come, but that is just something that, um, again, it's the future aspect of why I wanted to share, some family business on our financial health today, for the past, for the present, and for the future, going to be asking you in September, and you can start this week, give, allow that heart for this house, to be stirred in you. Say, Lord, I want to be uh, a contributor in this special offering month coming up in September. Okay? Now, talking about future growth, there are a couple of ways churches can grow. One is by rebirth. People coming to know Jesus for the first time. We'll get to Jess's baptism later if you can come down. The other way churches can grow is by natural birth. With that in mind, is Veronica here? Why don't you welcome Veronica, who is growing the next generation in her right now. Give us a quick... uh, Yeah, last week, um, we had 11... Sharon Leith told me 11 kids had made a commitment last week to Jesus. Some of them are getting... Yeah, why don't you give us a quick update on how that aspect of our church life is going, that next generation up there.
1: Yeah, well... Chad's been talking about having passion for the house and my hope today is just by giving you a bit of an insight to Super Kids is that your passion for SuperKids is boosted and increased and it's actually it's not just the people in the Super Kids leadership team that needs to be passionate it's the whole church yeah so um, Super Kids is much more than just Sunday school we actually have our own service upstairs with worship and I'm sure you hear us every week making the banging on the roof. <laughs> <laughs> and we even do offerings. Um so we have a, a kid that we're sponsoring in the Philippines, Samantha. Um and then we we have um a main message as well and even sometimes guest preachers like last week, which had preached in a ver- in a way <laughs> upstairs. Um yeah, Ch- Chad's already mentioned that last week there were 12 kids that said yes for Jesus, which was, no, 11, sorry. <laughs> Probably 12, but maybe <laughs> Um And we're having a few kids get baptised next week as well, so that's really awesome, and I just want to thank God for that, and I think we should all cheer or something. <laughs> <laughs> Hold on, I've just got to get my notes. Okay, um I just also want to say is my um dave um Dan Dan Todd here just want to say thank you for last week. He came dressed up in his life saving outfit and um helped us display a point about Jesus being our life saver so that was really cool. Thank you <laughs> um so what what picture have we got up here? Just to go to the next picture. There we go. Um, Two weeks ago, a group of six people, including myself, we went to a conference on the Gold Coast called Kids Shaper Conference. You can see on that right side, that's all of SA's state pastors, uh, kids pastors, they were at the conference. And that was the main thing I took away from it, is that networking and the support that we all kind of got to be part of. Um, So, yeah, it was a really powerful conference and... I think everyone who came, which unfortunately none of them are actually here today, um, would, would say also we came away feeling uplifted and encouraged in kids' ministry. And it's kind of ironic that the week after is when 11, 12 kids, sorry, were um, saved. So it was a real boost. Awesome. Um, yeah. And I think I've got one more point to say that there's so much happening in Super Kids at the moment. And one of the main things is we're doing a sleepover, which has happened for the last three years. Um, the Super Kids Sleepover happening at the end of, Octo- uh, end of September. Um, that's just, I really would like the whole church to pray into that. We've had 40 kids come in previous years, some from completely non-church backgrounds. Um, so that's a really important and powerful time that we can be ministering to the kids. Um, and if you have got kids or know of kids between the ages of 8 and 12, please register if they want to come. The registrations are open online on the Bayside website on the events tab. Um, yeah. Um, one other thing, I guess for you to be passionate about Super Kids, you need to have see it or at least have some insight. So I encourage you to even come upstairs after Super Kids today or another week and just check out the space and you can then visualize it in your head and then have it on your heart to pray and yeah we've got a new wall as we heard earlier <laughs> <laughs> you got a new wall
0: <laughs> and and hopefully depending on how our, our giving month goes i'm 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 uh, quite positive But one thing we also gonna what very much want to do before christmas is to re-carpet or refloor that area up there with um, the carpet up there is like third hand gear and uh, so uh, we want to get this stuff here up there. Yeah, a new and carpet uh,
1: might deaden the sound a little bit when we jump around.
0: Oh, so pay for some insulation as well. Is that, is that the idea? Now, listen, that camp, it's um, 35 or 40 bucks. Um, Some parents have three or four kids that, that may need to go to that. Is there a way that people could sponsor or, or just come yeah. to you and say, look, well, I'm willing to pay for somebody else's kid or something? Most
1: definitely. Um, if you want to kind of invest into another child and give them the money to go to the camp, come and see me and then I can distribute that to anyone that might be in that, that category. Um yeah. Okay.
0: That would be awesome. Awesome. Great. Thank you, Veronica. Thank you. How, about, how about if the the worship team come up, that'll also help me to uh to finish. Yeah that's what so I did see it. I was up at Super Kids last week and when you hear that big explosion I mean they've got a song called boom and that's one of the actions right so uh anyway I'm like oh lord please hope our engineering's fine no it's fine that's fine they're doing really well um next week uh of those 11 11 kids uh we do have a quite we do have a handful of children who are committing to getting baptized water baptized here next Sunday so as Leanne uh had mentioned before it's our father's day service um, we call it our father's day our father's day it's our birthday weekend with the saturday night um all right um, with the um oh that's that's unfair Everyone knows when ian's leaving church now he just turned 40 is that his new bike oh is it mm, can you smell that not too stroke. Um, our Father's Day uh, obviously not only our birthday weekend but we, we, we choose that weekend Father's Day to have water baptisms we have a tank that we'll bring into this place because it's a great sign of us saying look we, we put God our Father first it's when Jesus is water baptised that everyone heard that voice come to him say this is my son and at the moment we have I think 3, 4, maybe 5 kids who are committing to getting water baptised next week those of you parents who have kids, super kids, if they have made a commitment to Jesus and they've not yet been water baptized, open that conversation with them, all right? There's, it's not too late to get in. You just need to let Malcolm know. Okay, let Malcolm know he's coordinating that for baptisms this, uh, next week. And you know what? It would be great to have a really great showing of you, of us, of our family here next week, especially because we make it an invite for other people to come. And, uh, and so I'm looking forward to that. Spring is on the way. The winter has passed. Song of Solomon says, The winter has passed. The, si- the time of singing has come. Which doesn't apply to Paul and Silas when they're in prison. They just sung all the time. I think it's always a good time to sing. But as we come into a new season, as we start praying for a new prime minister, as we come into a new year of church life, and for some people, a new life of walking with Jesus, uh, I think we've got great reason to look back at the past and rejoice no look back at the past and remember consider today and rejoice rejoice in the Lord always but look forward to the future and run the race that is laid ahead of us we do not live in the past and while we are content in the present we do not let contentment become complacency because we always want to be a people who are moving forward. you stop moving forward, the tide will begin to bring you back. And while I'm so grateful for our past, and it's right to honour it and celebrate it, and we'll do that on Saturday night, while I'm very happy with our present, I'm also hopeful for our future. And if that rings for you, if this is your church home, why don't we just praise Him? Past, present, and future this morning. When you stand on your feet, put your hands together. Let's focus our attention on him and enjoy the rest of our day. Bless you. This has been a podcast from Bayside Church International. Thanks for listening.